This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Mine. And I am really excited about today's guest because we are being revisited by a former guest and someone I absolutely adore, Natalie Evans from the Some Kind of Brown podcast. And I know y'all have heard me talk about her besides her being on the show because we both started our Mixed Race podcasts within weeks of each other in 2018. Once we connected, we kind of stayed in contact the whole time. And I just adore her. I call her my mixed little sister. We do not know each other in meat space. We only know each other on cyberspace, but um, I've been a guest on her show. She's been a guest on my show. And I decided to bring her back because of a special series of episodes that she's currently doing on her show, which are just kicking my ass. Like I just, oh gosh, I just had to deal with the subject matter that she is covering right now. And I wanted to share it with y'all because I know there is some information out there about this but not enough. And we need to highlight it as much as possible. So the series of episodes that she's currently doing are called Red November, and it is focusing on the missing and murdered indigenous women here in this land that we are currently calling the United States of America. And the episodes that she's been producing have really just opened my eyes to how much more staggering the numbers are compared to what my understanding was of this problem over the last couple of years. And it is heavily emotional, what she's dealing with on her show right now. And the, like I said, the numbers are crazy staggering. Whatever you think you know about the missing and murdered indigenous women barely scratches the surface until you really start getting into it like she's doing on her show right now. So I brought her on to talk a little bit about that and to kind of remind y'all about about Natalie and, and her life since she's been on the show. I've said it many times, and I, I even say it in the conversation that I have with her as well, that if you're listening to my show, you absolutely should be listening to her show. Because while we are two tri-racial mixed race women, our shows are different. They focus on different areas of mixedness. I mean, there's some crossover because we're dealing with mixedness in general. But our shows are very different, and the more exposure we get, more access we get to mixed race things, the better. I listen to her show. I know she listens to my show. Like I said, we've been guests on each other's show. We communicate all the time. I absolutely adore her, and I'm really glad to have her back on the show. Uh, I do have to say, though, we had some technical difficulties. Uh, Two times the the call just dropped out on us. So there's an obvious point in which there's like an abrupt shift in the conversation. And that is because when we got back online, you know, we had to kind of reestablish the conversation and try to figure out where it got cut off. We weren't 100% sure. So in re-listening back to it, there is an obvious shift in the conversation. But, you know, we, we keep it going. We still have a fully 
thorough conversation. We just may have missed a couple of things that uh, didn't cross over between the first recording and the second. And then towards the end, it cuts off again, but it was okay because we were pretty much done by that point. What are you going to do? But I'm really excited to share this with you. And in the show notes, I'm also going to include a few links to some of the organizations that we discuss. And I'm also going to put some links to her Red November episodes. Although, just like Militantly Mixed, you can go on any podcatcher to find some kind of brown and listen to her Red November episodes. Um, And also follow her on social media, some kind of brown across all the social medias and see the pictures that she's been posting related to this series of episodes because they're beautiful and so is she. And I just love her to death. All right. uh, Before we get into it, just a reminder, we are going on a hiatus in December for all main hustle media shows. If you've been with me for a while, you know this, but if you're new in August, I established a mental health hiatus schedule for the year because come August this last year, things got really heavy and backed up for me emotionally because I wasn't decompressing from all of the stories that I was hearing um, because we do deal with a lot of trauma on this show on occasion. I wasn't real. I wasn't, I was, I was, I wasn't debriefing, I guess. <laughs> I was just holding everybody's stories in, not to mention my own issues and the fact that it was a very difficult time in my personal life. Um, I decided to take a mental health hiatus. And during the hiatus, it occurs to me that I do need to kind of do this self care on occasion because I deal with some really heavy issues on this show. I need to be able to put it somewhere sometimes, um, and not just on this show. But what you may not know is there's a lot of people who contact me to talk about some of the issues that they're dealing with um, related to their mixed race identity, and they're not wanting to be on the show. They just need somebody to talk to. And I have no interest in letting people try to suffer through their identity issues alone if there's nobody else for them to talk to. And I have developed some really great relationships offline apart from this show with people who I don't know if I'll ever actually have on the show. I just, we just talk about our issues together separately offline. And like I said, because those tend to be really heavy, I need, I need somewhere to put it and I need to take a break to be able to do that. So I will do a schedule that is three months on and one month off. The breaks will come April, August, December. And that is the schedule for all of the main hustle media shows going forward for now. So what have I talked about? Natalie is coming back on this episode, December hiatus. And what else? I might do a birthday episode on December 3rd, even though it is technically part of the hiatus. I just haven't decided yet, but my birthday is December 3rd and it falls on a Tuesday. So maybe we'll see. And anything else? No. Yes. As you know, this is a fan sponsored podcast and Honestly, y'all have come through in a big, bad way since August. Without the support that y'all have been giving me, I would absolutely have had to cancel all the shows for a period of time. Um, But because of the support I get on Militantly Mixed, I am able to continue to produce this show. And we hit the $100 a month goal in August, the $200 a month goal in September, the $300 a month goal in October. I am trying to achieve a $500 a month goal steadily by the end of 2019. The goal for November is $400 a month, and we are currently sitting at $302 a month. So we still got a little over a week left in the month. If y'all have been considering 
sponsoring the show to help keep us going and understanding that when independent folks produce podcasts, all of the expenses of the production of the show do come out of a pocket. And when I lost my job, I was not able to keep it going. And thankfully, y'all stepped up and helped me keep it going. If I'm able to achieve the $500 a month by the end of December, what that will mean is I will actually be able to hire somebody to do a little bit of the editing and some of the social media aspects that is starting to be a lot to do now that the show has grown so much. It's a it's a completely good problem to have. Let me just say that, that the show has grown so much, it's hard to keep up. <laughs> um, but if I can achieve $500 a month, I will be able to hire that person to help me on a part time basis with those efforts. And if that happens, I won't have to slow down. As of right now, maintaining it even at the $300 a month is a great help, but it's still getting tough to keep to maintain it at the level that it needs to be maintained. So I'm trying to achieve $400 a month by the end of November and $500 a month by the end of December. So if you've been considering sponsoring the show, you can go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed and sponsor as low as a dollar to as high as anything you wish. It is a monthly sponsorship. So even if it is just a dollar a month, you may think that's insignificant. For me, it's bread and butter. I have a handful of folks that are at a dollar a month, $200 a month, $3 a month, and that stuff adds up and stacks up. And that's how we got close to that $100 at first go. I am also very lucky in that I have a number of y'all that are coming through at the $50 levels, the $25 levels, $40 and $30 levels. I am so appreciative of my my big hitters too, because I know there's not a lot of podcasts out there that gets the support that I get, especially at the independent level and also not achieving the 10,000 downloads a month thing that the big hitters get. So I'm so appreciative of the support. I do need a little bit more though to keep it going all the way. And the funds that I receive for Militantly Mixed stay with Militantly Mixed. Basically, because we weren't being funded on Blurred Comics, I switched from a the carrier I currently use for my hosting, uh, which is Libsyn, to a free service, which is Anchor, because I wasn't able to financially support that show when things got tight. So it has stayed on Anchor. What I lose with it going on a free site is a lot of the analytics and knowing how many people listen and all that other kind of stuff. What I get with Lipson, I don't want to give up for Militantly Mixed because then I won't be able to figure out where y'all are at so that I can help um, continue to support the stories that y'all need to hear. So all the money I receive from Militantly Mixed stays in the Militantly Mixed bucket. It supports the things that I'm doing on Militantly Mixed. So I appreciate the support and I love the support. If you're not able to commit to or don't wish to commit to a monthly sponsorship, but you do want to support the show financially, you can go to paypal.me slash militantly mix and drop in some coins in that tip jar as well. All of the money goes to support the show. I do hope by next year I am able to purchase this um, thing called a Roadcaster Pro. It is something that would allow the editing and production of the shows to go a lot smoother. Um, that is something I'm kind of saving towards if I can save towards. But as of right now, I'm not I'm not quite able to save towards that. So. There's a few big things I'm trying to do for next year for the show. And once we get the financial support, we will get there and it'll be dope. It'll be so dope. Uh, Continue to follow us on social media. 
Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all Militantly Mixed. Or you can email me at Charmaine at MilitantlyMixed.com. That's S as in Sam, H-A-R, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, E, at MilitantlyMixed.com. And last announcement before we get going is that I have achieved the point at which it's a good problem to have which I can no longer manage the social media altogether by myself. It's another one of those things that I've learned. You can't do everything by yourself because we have so many listeners now. Um, I'm not able to moderate the Facebook group and private pages as much as I would like to. And I've been talking to other people who have Facebook pages for their products and services and content creation things. And none of them moderate their own shows pages. Most of them have a fan moderator. I didn't know that. Now I know. So I'm reaching out to y'all. If any of you might be interested in moderating the Facebook pages for both the private and public groups, what that entails is actually just accepting the people who have applied to be a part of the private group, um, making sure that we're discussing mixed race issues and uh, we're centering on mixedness on the pages, sharing articles with maybe a little bit more of a description than I've been able to do lately. And engaging in conversation, if someone posts something, responding and trying to get the conversation going. Again, I did not realize that most of my counterparts in this game have fan moderators. Had I known that, I would have tried it earlier. I'm looking for at least two people, possibly three, to moderate the pages. So if it is of something of interest to you and you have time to do that, it's... um, it's uh, Obviously, it's not something that is a requirement, but we'll definitely grow the community a little bit better if we do have that community buy-in. So if it does sound of fun or of interest to you and you'd like to participate participate in that, you can email me at Charmaine at MilitantlyMixed.com. That's S as in Sam, H-A-R, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, E, at MilitantlyMixed.com and help us that way. And y'all, I keep having these coughing fits, so I need to wrap this up. Without further ado, please help me in welcoming back Natalie Evans to the show. And please check the show notes afterwards because I have links to everything we talk about and her shows. And I definitely want y'all to support her as much as you support me. All right. See you after the break. Happy holidays if that is something that you celebrate. And if you don't, Happy days until I see you in January. <laughs> Bye, y'all. So I am really excited to have back my my little mixed sister, <laughs> um, Natalie Evans from Some Kind of Brown Podcast, which if you're listening to my show, you know I say it all the time. If you listen to my show, you need to be listening to her show too. Natalie and I both started our podcast within weeks of each other yeah. <laughs> in 2018. And, um, you know, both different sides of, well, not different sides. We're both our, our version of talking about the mixed race experience you know, through our lenses and with the guests that we have. But I wanted to bring Natalie back. One, because I love her. I think you're like, 
so for me, this is a total positive. I don't know, like, if this is weird that I'm about to say this to you, but I think of you as like, <laughs> like you're like a little human marshmallow. You're just my sweet little <laughs> friend. I want to squish your face. Oh my god! <laughs> I've only known a couple okay. other human marshmallows in the past, but like as soon as I started to get to know you, I was like, "Oh, another human marshmallow!" <laughs> um, I don't know how or what I've done You're so to sweet. do that. <laughs> I I don't know how I keep getting this reputation. It just follows. <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't know if it's accidentally your brand or like your deal or whatever, but like I read from you a very sweet, thoughtful, kind, empathetic person. And, um, you know, I know we've talked about your voice. So you say like your voice is not necessarily representative of how you feel uh, because you've had, no, you do have a gentle voice. Um, but, you know, I'm Japanese, so I like cute little angry things. So if you want to be cute, little and angry... I will. Yes, I love that. Oh, well, I've got that. <laughs> um, that is one of my strengths. One of your strengths being cute, little and angry. Uh, yeah, like I'm I'm all about the chibi, the chibi angry thing. So. Um, uh, so if you've been with the show for a while, you will be familiar with Natalie because one, I've mentioned her pretty frequently. And two, she was a guest on my show during. I want to say it was like March or something, March or April when I had like the mixed race podcasters month oh, or yeah. something. Um, that was what, that was what I was doing that time. Cause it, it just happened. It wasn't intentional. It just happened to be that other mixed race podcasters, whether or not they had an actual mixed race show or they were mixed race, I connected with them all at kind of one time. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to put this together as, as yeah. a whole month. And then you, that, and that's, what, that's <laughs> and then you were on my podcast for, uh, Asian American Pacific Islander month. And then clips of me have popped up again on your show, which every now and then when you're just listening and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, she just, that's me <laughs> that she's talking about. <laughs> 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 which is fun too. Uh, but I'm glad to have you back. I So what got cut earlier because of technical difficulties that I don't know if you're going to hear again, but um, I was introducing what Natalie is working on right now. And I wanted to be able to share that with the audience as well, because uh, for whatever crossover we don't have, which I'm going to say it again, if you listen to my show, you need to be <laughs> listening to some kind of Brown as well. I, you know, I want people to, to know what is going on because we, we deal with mixedness of all different types uh, and, you know, sometimes that does tend to be sort of a binary biracial thing, but you and I are both triracial mm -hmm. people and, um, and we need to pull from all of the ethnic groups and, and all of our different cultures. And over the last month, you have been focusing your efforts on Red November, talking about the missing and murdered women on reservations in the indigenous communities here on this land that is now called America, but you know. Yeah, there's a little crossover because inside the Native community, there's a lot of push to ignore boundaries that we didn't create. So right. um, and that means including the Comanches and some of the uh, Mexican bands and some mm -hmm. into Canada and Greenland and stuff like that because we didn't create those borders. And so why should we honor them? Right. Exactly. 
So, and that's actually something that I, I don't have any direct connection to any indigenous population. I've lived near a res before and I, there has been a story for ages that my family is mixed with black Seminole Mm. and even to the degree of like escaped escaped slaves went to Florida and went to the Everglades and they, they, you know, like the whole thing. And then I talked to a genealogist, a member of my family, who's not like a legit genealogist. She's just doing the work for all of our family. And she's like, oh yeah, no, that was a lie. Oh my gosh. So this identity, this like kind of partial identity that I've had with like being one of these people that were willing to, you know, risk it all to try to find a new home and new people and things like that has been sort of torn away and I'm kind of having to rebuild. So as of right now, I can't say that I have any connection to um, an indigenous population, but it's still something that I've always found very important. And also because I thought (laughs) for a long time that we were. (laughs) Well, to be fair, I Um, think that you haven't lost all of those things because if your family was here during slavery, if your family was slaves, there mm-hmm. is some of that factor in there. Somebody had to fight. Somebody right. had to make things work. Survive. Yeah. Right. Um, so there's a little bit of that. But one thing that I'm noticing as I'm investigating more, especially as I started to hear more about the missing and murdered women and children, I guess, too. It's kind of happening with children as well. Children Girls. and two-spirit people. So two-spirit people... Uh, I am hesitant to say that they're transgender people because the un- the native understanding of gender is a little different when it comes to right. that. So uh, the whole movement is inclusive of non-binary, trans, anyone on the gender spectrum, just mm-hmm. like female and non-binary. Right. And so one of the things that as I've been listening more and more about this stuff, I was finding moments in which I was feeling a kind of way, whether or not it's my place to feel a kind of way uh, of people having to use the terms like United States or here in the States Mm -hmm. or here in Oklahoma or here in South Dakota and thinking like, yeah, those borders do exist, but those borders don't exist for the indigenous people and to force them to have to use that language is very frustrating. And so in the same way that, you know, when you try to grow and you try to adapt and your language to a situation, I'm sitting here trying to figure out how to introduce this as the indigenous population that is here on this land that is now (laughs) called America, you know, like I don't even know. (laughs) Um, I don't, and I, and I want to do it justice and I want to lead with empathy and I just can't tell if I'm even making those kind of mistakes. Um, but I've been listening to your series and, um, fuck, uh, what's happening and what Americans are not aware of or, making efforts to care about yeah, is rough. So I did want to bring you on to kind of talk a little bit more about that. I mean, I know you're already carrying a pretty heavy load doing that on your own show as well. Um, But if you don't mind. (laughs) I mean, honestly, I will talk about this all day because for me, I almost didn't do this project this year because of my health issues. And I had actually had a hysterectomy the week before we launched it. I can't believe you were able to keep it going at the same time. I have no idea how this project launched. 
I, I honestly do not. When I was seeing that you were posting the lead into it, I was like, how the fuck is she going to do this when she's also recovering? Like, I'm, I mean, I'm beyond, I don't know how you are carrying the load that you're carrying right now while also recovering, but the, the series has been great so far. And the information that you're providing is amazing. I, honestly, I don't know if I would attribute it to a spiritual thing necessarily, but like not to sound too woo-woo about it, the more I thought about this project, which I had been thinking about for a couple, mm, that's not, about six months before I'd been playing with the idea. Um, and then I found out that I'd have to have a, ugh, English. And then I found out that I'd have to have a hysterectomy. <laughs> and so I was like, I don't know if I'm going to want to do this when it came August. I don't whatever. But the more I thought about not doing it, I felt like I was mm -hmm. letting people down. If that makes sense. Not even people who listened because no, the only people who knew I was thinking about this project were like my girlfriend and maybe another friend. Mm -hmm. But I felt like I would be letting down almost all the women. Right. Down. I understand that feeling. Yeah. Because I have documented my journey so far on reconnecting with my indigenous native side. I've always, well, that's not true. I've had a general idea of where I've come from as far as it goes for a long, long time. And it just seemed like almost I'd be lazy if I didn't do it. Like mm -hmm. these women went through so much. I'm having a hysterectomy. That's not a, a big deal when you're, looking at all that stuff that they're going through and mm. I just even my therapist was like please don't <laughs> please please don't do this but I just I did and you felt like you needed to yeah I actually agreed not to do it I would do it next year because you know there, there's always time they say and one night I couldn't sleep which happens mm. occasionally with chronic pain it just is a part of life. But um, yeah. I was just up and I was like, okay, curse. Are we cursed? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding? Have you heard me? That's true. <laughs> We're grown. <laughs> but I was, we are grown. <laughs> I was literally just sitting there and I was like, fuck, I have to when do you, this. When you stopped that, I didn't even know how to answer the question. I was like, wait, what did she ask? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, B. But yeah, I was like, fuck, I have to do this. So yeah, that night I worked on what I was going to, to talk about kind of my, my ideas. And the next day I was reaching out to people and I was like, if I can't find people, then let's let that be a signal from the universe that sure. I shouldn't do it. That's actually, that's pretty. Yes. Okay. I don't listen to myself when I say things like that, but yes, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's good that you did that i mean i understand taking on too much i've definitely overwhelmed myself recently and i told myself that november was going to be my no november where i was just going to say no to everything that someone put in front of me i have failed <laughs> miserably so like i understand the inclination to like you you think you know my stuff i need you know i need to take a break or whatever 
I think it's fair for you to have taken a break, though, given what you're dealing with. I know that I, I understand what you say, and I totally agree with what you say. But at the same time, I think you could have been forgiven for, <laughs> for recovering from such a major surgery or whatever. But I also understand that pull where you just feel like I can't not do yeah. this thing. I had I had to when it came down to it, it whether it was a smart decision, which it wasn't. <laughs> I had to do it. And yeah. Do you, is it impacting your, is it making it harder for your recovery? Uh, you don't want to say yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> I did get an infection and there have been some uh-huh. sleeping through days, but to be honest, I think it was worth it because. It, like your heart. Yeah. The, it was the right time though. I think it was the right time. Mm. The right people agreed the right people were ready to listen. The MMIW is really movement is really, really starting to push forward. It was the right time mm-hmm. to do this series, and it's very necessary to do this series. And just the fact that I have had people, some of our mutual listeners actually, and our friends um, who also have podcasts tell me that they've never heard of this. Right. Which... Uh, it's pretty astounding given yeah. the statistics. I mean, I will say that I didn't really understand that there was an organization or organizations behind missing and murdered women and children or missing and murdered women and girls. Yeah, that's uh, the blanket term is MMIW, missing and murdered indigenous mm-hmm. women. So, okay. Uh, and yes, yeah, okay, I was skipping the indigenous thing. So, I I was aware that this has been a problem, but not to the degree that it actually is. Like I, I remember there was the actress from a couple years ago that was in, I think it was winter's bone that uh, ended up going missing. And then they found her body. And I remember that being the start of a conversation that was like, actually this happens a lot. And then that was it. Mm -hmm. And then I started to notice it over the last couple months that it was coming up more often in either podcasts I was listening to or articles that were being shared. I started to follow a lot more indigenous channels in terms of my social media. So now my feed is is showing me how big it is. And then I started to hear that the the numbers are like 10 times as high as missing murdered women in the States yes. apart from the reservations, apart from the indigenous community. And that freaks me out <laughs> that the numbers can be that high mm-hmm. and fucking nobody hear about it. Like, how are we not hearing about this? So I always knew that there was a degree of violence against native people in general. Mm-hmm. I did not. I also didn't know there was, or there were organizations looking at it. But Mm -hmm. when we look at those organizations, some of them started 2016, some 2017. They're very, very new. And so are the numbers that we're getting. They haven't even begun to research or been able Mm. to research Native people who live in urban areas who aren't on reservations. And we still have places in reservations that have no list they don't have any numbers to report it, it's very difficult to know the breadth of how bad this problem is so when you look at those numbers you have to add on more right 
Because we just don't and know. That's, and that's what is so scary. I mean, I think we do have versions of that with, um, you know, black women and trans women here in the States. I think there are the same type of situation where the numbers are a lot higher than we are aware of because things aren't getting reported. But to hear the degree of what's happening yeah, in indigenous communities is really frightening, especially because of knowing that people can commit crimes on native lands mm-hmm. and not be prosecuted, yep. that the reservations or the native lands cannot prosecute them they cannot. and we won't prosecute them because they're a sovereignty. And yet, there's nothing stopping. There's nothing that the U.S. is doing to prevent people from the U.S. to cross these sovereign borders and commit these crimes. That is a recipe for genocide. Oh, it is beyond genocide. what was already has been committed. You know, so I'm I'm just staggered by this issue, and I'm uh, I'm like more upset that I didn't have access to it before. I mean, that's fair, but that's the way it was intended to be, unfortunately. Yeah, but that's fucked up. (laughs) Like, that's just terrible. uh, And it makes you wonder, what other things do we not even know is happening? When, um, I don't know if you've heard it yet, but I, the only reason why I discovered this podcast, This Land, was because I was at Work at Fest, and the woman who produces that show was one of the speakers. And she was explaining a bunch of things. It all It's all based off of this murder that was committed. And depending on if the place that the murder was committed was on uh, sovereign land or if it was on um, U.S. land, this person would either be released from prison because he's in federal prison right now uh, for the last 20 years or he would be. Uh, put to death because he was on death row. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this has started this, you know, this search. Uh, and in addition to this story, it had this person kind of digging in more of like what happened in terms of what land are, is actually owned by the indigenous population and what isn't and what happens. And as she started to trace, she discovers a little bit more about her own family and her own great grand third great grandfather i think was responsible for signing the treaty that started the trail of tears so her family is not very well liked that could that, i can't imagine that would be so hard to have yeah, that as a so family it, legacy she doesn't she knows that her 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 grandfather there's there's evidence to show that the grandfather didn't want to do this but was you know put to the put it was basically all your people die yeah. or we move them so and you know that do? actually did happen so wounded knee happened because right people fought back and there are some leaders who made hard choices on good like in good faith that in good faith yeah the US would leave them alone on this piece of land and they would just be like done right which nobody so wanted. Is this but stuff it's- that you're learning more about? Because when we first spoke, you were you were sort of you had already been, but are kind of in the beginning of reinvestigating your indigenous side because you have kind of a family block mm-hmm. in terms of being able to investigate. Um, I've been watching your social media and, of course, listening to your show, so I know that you are deeper into your investigation than you ever got to be yeah. before. Um, is this how? 
this has started to like, I know you wanted to do this last year, but kind of weren't ready yet. Is this how you've gotten more access and, and more information? There's a combination of things. I think I threw my cousin and he's, I don't know what, how cousins work, but he's close <laughs> <laughs> through one of my very close cousins. I have been reconnecting and learning things, going to powwow, stuff like that. I'm making my own regalia. Um, mm-hmm. That's happening. But I was also following more indigenous people. This came up last October. I guess it's last October started a seed that's been kind of growing in my mind. Because do you remember Halloween last year? There was this big hubbub about... Oh gosh, what's that show? Uh, where all the women are like split up. They wear the red things. Have mercy. Everybody watched this movie. Everybody and their sister. I mean, show. A Handmaid's Tale. You right, right, okay. So, do you remember the controversy over the sexy Handmaid's Tale costume? <laughs> Jesus, no, I don't. Okay, but of course. <laughs> Of course. I promise I <laughs> promise it's relevant. So <laughs> this company called Yandy made a sexy handmaid's tale outfit. And Goodness gracious. all the feminists came out and were protesting this costume to the degree that they got a public apology and retraction or whatever you want to call it, of recall of their product. Okay. So okay. they didn't sell the costume anymore. However, you- there's literally all the races yes. have yes. costumes or sexy versions of them. Well, this native is- Twitter went off because I bet. we all went on their website and I still have screenshots and tweets that I put out then. But there were like 40 crazy Indian princess nonsense, disgusting costumes and native twitter was like hi yandy take these off too while you're at it like literally adding them nothing every single year people complain about this every single year a celebrity gets in trouble for this yep how are we not further along here and it's really hard you know that i really don't like putting things into this white people versus everyone else Mm-hmm. I don't think that's helpful at all. But when you see that things like this happen, when you see white feminists getting their way and then all of right. these native people complaining, literally adding the company about this problem, about how the sexualizing of native women's bodies has led to actual violence and they mm-hmm. don't do diddly squat. No, we don't get an apology. We didn't get a retract uh, a recall of those stupid costumes we got the same old same old and all these people who wear these costumes on halloween and think they look whatever mm-hmm. yeah it's so cool they just respect your culture mm-hmm. so much that they want to mix and match things that are completely wrong anyway uh to to do it like oh gosh it's so people always justify it there's always a way people are going to try to justify themselves and you almost see a 
angry black woman complex come out on the native side. People are just mm-hmm. like, you guys are just being angry for no reason. It's uh, we're actually respecting your culture. We're trying, <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, so you're respecting my culture by dressing your up leather like, costume yes. that is totally <laughs> but, historically inaccurate for sure. but not even looking at traditional clothing or some of the fashion oh my gosh mm-hmm. there's so much native fashion that's really cool modern fashion you're not looking at that you're looking at these stereotypical whatever mm-hmm. outfits but i saw that nobody was listening And it just made me so, so angry. How Mm -hmm. in the world can you have so many people that I was at least following and no one says anything about it? So I started seeing MMIW. I didn't know what it stood for. I did some research and the more I've looked into it, the more appalled I am. Mm -hmm. It's just... It's a hard thing to live with. And it's one of those things that once you see it, once you are aware of it, it's very difficult to ignore. And I don't right. think you should. It, it's one of those uncomfortable truths. Mm-hmm. So right, exactly. It, it just led me to that. And I've always wanted to find a way to help, find a way to make some kind of difference. And to be honest, I... I just didn't think about it. It it was just something that needed to happen. Yeah. And I think you and I both leveraging our platforms for things that we are passionate about or have a personal stake in or just feel is important Mm -hmm. is a way that we can help, is a way that we can be activists because, you know, we're not rich people. We can't necessarily put our dollars behind situations, but we, we do have these platforms we've created and we can spread the word. I mean, just knowing... I knew a bit and then I started to listen to your series and now I know more and now it's my responsibility to take that more that I'm learned about and, and continue to investigate and see how else I can be involved. Even though I know, you know, even in terms of my own activism, I'm not a person that necessarily marches or can march, or I'm not necessarily a person that can sit in places, but what I can do is amplify what is happening through my platforms. And I think that's, you know, what, what you're doing, I think is important. And especially too, as you are investigating your own heritage, seeing what is happening or what has been happening to your people and not even having a whiff of it or not much of it, for a long time has got to also be very conflicting. Well, I've had from some of the people I've talked to that are native and are in the middle of this, there is an attitude of not speaking about it. There's a lot of pride. There's a lot of, mm, I'll just leave it at that. There's a lot that goes into it and reasons that people haven't talked about it. But more than anything, I really believe that, it's almost that people have accepted that we are on, we are trying, uh, sorry, that people are trying to kill us, that they're trying to eliminate right. Native Americans. There's a very interesting conversation happening, which needed to happen. Uh, there's a podcast called All My Relations, and they're talking about this on their podcast. And it's how awful the blood quantum is. 
Right. I mean, because isn't that essentially something that white people created? Yes, it was created for the sole purpose of getting land back. So they have the government has set up a system where eventually there will be no legally recognized native people. And so all Mm -hmm. that land that was given to these tribes will be gone. The U.S. will have them and they will have mineral rights. Right. Which is what they want. So uh, when you enroll, you get a card. And on that card is your blood quantum. So everybody from your neighbors to, to God, you know, knows what your blood quantum is, which is why I don't talk about mine. I leave it mm-hmm. at I leave it at the fact that I could be enrolled and that I am looking into it. Okay. But I won't say my blood quantum because from one angle, you can, some people could justify me talking about these things. And then from another angle, people will say it's not enough still, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to engage in that conversation because it's not something we should measure. So if you compare the one drop rule to the blood quantum it's very, very obvious what it is. It's not this big conspiracy theory that we mm-hmm. when we say these things. The blood, uh, the one drop rule said that if you're one drop, basically black, you're black because they wanted more mm-hmm. slaves. Mm-hmm. The blood quantum they wanted the land, so that's something that's going on, and people who can be enrolled and are interested in their hair, their. Uh, ethnic identity, I think have a responsibility to enroll the more we can Mm -hmm. accept each other and kind of revitalize this history and these cultures, the better off we'll be. But it it is one of those things. I don't know. I don't know where we started. I just got on a tangent. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's an important aspect of this, too. It's something that people don't understand. And that's what we got to do. We got to be talking about it so that people understand that this is what's happening. This is the method, the tool that is being used to continue thorough genocide. And that's the problem. There's so many parts to it from tribal authorities, not being able to prosecute to not Mm -hmm. being able to get proper media coverage. That is something I have run into with every single person I've, looked up their case or what happened to them or who they Mm. even were. And there's nothing. Yeah. Because that's the thing about a lot of the victims is that you can't find out about them. Or if you can, what you hear is they were on drugs or they Mm -hmm. were in sex work or they, uh, you know, in some way that is belittling their situation without explaining the reasons how they got into those positions. Yeah. And, that's how a lot of serial killers got away with some things. There have been numerous very famous serial killers who killed Native women and they got away with it for a time and they only got caught mm. when they started messing up, a quote unquote, and started killing people who weren't on reservations. Oh my goodness. You know, it's it's very complicated. It's very painful. And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of reasons why it's nothing's been done or the movement is just taking off now is because people accepted the violence. Like 
these Americans, these, the U.S. government is always going to try to kill us. This is just the way it is. Mm. Oh, that hurts. Yeah. There, there's a degree of that in the Japanese culture where it's like once defeated, acknowledge the defeat and like bend to it, it which is a real conflict for me because I grew up with this principle and in, in Japanese context, I think, yeah, sure. But I'm also black American and that doesn't work for me here. You know, like uh, there, there are things like that. That is, that's really hard to um, reconcile yeah. as a mixed person to, to deal with the, with these things. And, and ultimately you end up fighting probably more for one than the other. in in the same way that I talk about, like I'm hierarchical in my identity and I do think of myself as black first, even though I present the way that I do. Um, I had more access to blackness than I had anything else. Japanese next, the colonizer after that. Um, and uh, gosh, that it's just like, it hurts because it's helping aid the genocide, you know, whether intentional or not, it's helping yeah. to make it happen, to make it complete. I don't want to pretend like it's not happened. It has happened. There has been a genocide, but the thorough wiping out of an entire population is we're seeing it get closer to that because people are losing their homes. Uh, the squatters rights thing. I didn't even realize has <laughs> was a connection through uh, because of reservation land, I did not understand that that's where the term squatters rights came from. I, until recently, you know, that people could just be like, Oh, they will give you this plot of land over here. And 47 miles away, we'll give you this plot of land. You don't have any resources to travel between the two plots. So anything you're not sitting on a white person could just come squat on that land, post something in the newspaper and say, this is mine now. Mm -hmm. And now they've, now they own your, your land. Um, as another way to piece away from the other part about it too, is in talking about it, what I've learned upsets me because I'm like, okay, I want only, Oh gosh, I'm about to say this word. I want only Brown people to hear about this because I don't want white people to hear about this and find out that this is something they can do. And now they uh, go and do it. See, I didn't even think of that to me. I just wanted, because I have a variety of listeners from other ethnic backgrounds because from the beginning of my podcast I've always done something for the heritage months mm -hmm. sure yes so, you have uh, regardless if it's part that. <laughs> well it was just something important to me I wanted to I felt like if I was going to talk about race then I needed to acknowledge and celebrate all races especially mm -hmm. because there's a very large need to expand what it means to be mixed that it's not automatically black and white in people's heads. So I wanted to right. expand people's idea of what it means to be multicultural, to be, you know, mixed like us. So, mm -hmm. um, so I always was, gonna, was going to cover that and I've learned a lot from doing those months, but um, I am mostly indigenous and so that is a big focus for myself. And, and it's really important to me because I am on that journey of self-discovery. I am doing the work to belong to this community because mm -hmm. there's a lot of trust that goes into accepting someone from that, from the perceived outside. And I am on that outs perceived outside because I didn't grow up in a reservation. 
And, you know, it's, and through no fault of your own, you, you actually had familial resistance to investigating that side mm-hmm. of you. So you trying to reclaim it now, you know, there's a big, I think there's a lot of power in doing that. I think it's important um, for me, my investigation right now is in discovering where from Africa, my ancestors were stolen from. I found out. I know what tribes now. And while I'll never be able to walk around and feel comfortable claiming that I'm Gabonese or anything like that, I at least know where they were taken from. I have an opportunity. I will hopefully have an opportunity to go there and see the place where my people used to be. And in that thing, feel like I've I've taken back something that was taken away from us. Yeah. I think with you, the same thing. Um a number of things were blocking you from being able to have access to your heritage. Now that you're free from a lot of those things, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them, um, you, you just, de- you determine your journey. You get yeah. to take it back on your terms. And I think that is important. And the fact that you're sharing it with people too, I think there's a lot of empowerment also, because I think, Brown cultures of all kinds do think that because of pride and and things like that, sometimes we do block ourselves from taking back what's ours. Yeah. And I wanted to share my journey of reconnecting because I want people to know that they can. And that's a really hard thing for people, I think, who are mixed because you do have that message that if you haven't been with us, you haven't had this experience, you can't be one of us. And Mm -hmm. there are privileges that come with not having uh, or not being raised on a reservation. I do have a certain amount of privilege when it comes to that. But I also missed out. Right. It's not the same thing. I never want to make that equivalency, but I missed out on a lot, too. So there's a balance that needs to be struck. I think there's a lot of established thought that needs to be broken. And just the fact that I can, that I could talk to native women from various backgrounds and we could all talk and from our different perspectives on this issue, I think Mm -hmm. is why a lot of people are listening and paying attention. Yeah, no, I th- I mean, it connects to me, even though I don't have the direct connection. You know, I understand. And maybe this is not good language, but I, I, it has been something that I've been using is, is, is in terms of tribing up or finding our tribes, meaning finding where we come from, finding our indigenous people, right? And, and for me, finding out which tribes we came from, from the African side, uh, meant way more than I expected it to mean, you know, even though I don't have access yet, it knowing where they're from gave me a bridge to a continent that I've only been able to kind of sort of say I'm from, you know, things like that. And hearing that you can get that bond or that sisterhood with your guests, understanding that your experiences are different, but understanding that you're still part of the story. You're part of the fabric of the story. Um, I think is uh, like, I, I mean, it's connecting to me, even though it's a different heritage, you know, yeah. I think that, and that's something that I've discovered with doing this show. And I think you and I've talked about this before is that it took me a few months to realize I wasn't going to find a lot of stuff in common with people I wasn't going to find everything in common with the people from my various heritages. Like 
yes, with black people, I find more in common, but like, I'm not necessarily going to find a whole lot of common with Japanese people. I'm not going to necessarily find a whole lot of in common with Caucasian British people. But what I do find a lot of commonality with is other mixed people. Mm -hmm. Even though we come from different heritages, we all experience the same thing. The exoticizing, the eroticizing, the where are you from, the othering. We all have those experiences. Um, And even though some of them are meant in kindness or in interest, it's very othering and very painful for the experience. And nobody understands that better than other mixed people. And that's something that the show has given me. And I'm so grateful to, to have gotten there because I would, I hadn't figured that out in 40 years. I hadn't figured that out until doing the show. And so now like I can look at to you and really like, I do feel a bond with you. I feel like we are cut from a very similar cloth. We, we needed to investigate at the same time. We started our journey yeah. and look at all this stuff we've got now because of what we're doing and this connection to our cultures. And I, I know that I feel it. I'm sure you do too. I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to ask if you do. Um, <laughs> but when I go to say uh, a Japanese festival, I, I live in a Japanese part of town. It's not too far away. Um, and that was a luck thing, but it's also kind of by design too, is if there is a Japanese festival and I'm able to go to it, the second I hear Taiko drums, something happens, you know, like, and I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a spiritual person. I'm not one of those people who thinks things are connected necessarily. But when I hear those drums, my body just vibrates with like, this is something from me. Mm -hmm. Like I know this sound, the same thing happened. I, of all places, when I first came back to LA, my very first Juneteenth festival back here in LA was in Santa Monica, which is like the whitest part of LA. But, um, uh, they had a Juneteenth festival and there were African drummers there. And not only were there African drummers, there were two women who were like, this is normally what a man does, but we needed it. Like we needed to do it. And so when they started drumming, same thing happened to me where it was just like, I don't know what's happening, but my body needs this, <laughs> you know? And it's this weird kind of like connection and healing and, um, like I would get, I will get emotional. Like my, I will get really choked up and have to kind of deal with like, why am I so emotional right now? And what it is, is a connection to something that was taken from me. It's like something that I don't have access to anymore. Well, because we actually have a concept to kind of explain that. Uh, I feel the same way when I step into a powwow what every time i hear the drums i'm like oh chronic pain what chronic pain let's walk right? as quick as like, possible question is deep <laughs> it's it's in there and it's medicine so right that's a, that's a term that i really like using um not all native groups or indigenous groups use that it's very much mm-hmm. so the lower 48 okay which is a new a term I learned from my you're just Alaskan in your investigation. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a very big difference in the uh, native cultures in the lower part of the United States, mm-hmm. and by which, that I mean any part that's not Alaska. <laughs> Alaska, right? Yeah, yeah. There are very big cultural differences down here. Jingle dancers. A, a jingle dance comes from a certain native culture, but basically anybody can do it mm-hmm. as you know, it's one of those things where 
there might be common, and then there is cause, common regalia, but there are little tribal specific, tribes, oh my God, tribes, I got you, tribes specific, <laughs> tribes specific <laughs> touches that you can put to it. Like, okay, uh, Dine or Navajo people or women have a specific hairstyle that. Yeah. not everyone wears so like they might do that and do jingle so that kind of thing doesn't really exist up in alaska they don't do oh, okay. jingle dance they have their own dance styles and i think it's probably because they were able to be more isolated mm-hmm. but um medicine is something that we talk about again in, in the lower 48 and having conversations about painful things, having conversations about things we felt, things we've seen, things we've experienced, and sometimes going to those events and hearing the drums, things that we associate with our culture. It's like good medicine for your heart. It's healing. It renews your connection to who you are, to what you value. It's almost like going home. Right. And I heard, uh, so when I had Allison Hart on the show last year, um, and we've since, you know, stayed in contact and everything like that, she was the first person who said that to me. And it was one of those things like it just clicked. I have started to use it. I hope that that isn't appropriation. Using (laughs) medicine? Um, Yeah, using medicine as as a term to explain those moments. Um, It it was something that she she had said to me, and I I have started to use it. And that like there doesn't seem to be another way to say that. You know, like at least for me, I haven't I haven't come upon one yet. It does feel like that. There is something very healing in having these moments where you can really connect to your culture. And I don't know what it is like. And it's not for being resistant to it because I I have absolutely tried to embrace some aspects of my British heritage. There's some things that I absolutely do love. I mean, I am a tea snob and shit like that. <laughs> um, you know, we we did used to have to like curtsy to the icons of the uh, of the queen coming in the house and shit. Um, but so like you know, there's things on the British side, but I don't feel it as deep or as. <sighs> It's not as acknowledged, I guess. Yeah, it, <laughs> by, it doesn't feel like as much as home. Right. Whereas drums in particular, because I come from two cultures in which drums are, you know, used in different ways that, that is very um, healing and things like that. I I don't have anything like that on the British side. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe a cup of tea, be, which I drink every single day about 40 times a day. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, like there's something about the taiko drums, uh, a fan dance, Japanese fan dance, which is very beautiful, will, will fuck me up. Like, there's no reason to be crying. <laughs> there's no reason to be crying. And I will see it and I'll just like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. You know, like there's certain music, uh, there's certain kinds of Japanese flutes music that will really mess me up. But like, I'll get the itch in my eye and I have no reason to be other than like, it feels so familiar, Mm -hmm. even though I haven't had exposure to it or much exposure to it. Um, Yeah. And I, I mean, I feel like I've like, I've gotten that impression too, from your, a lot of your posts too, when you, when you have been able to go to powwows and, um, and on your show, when you've gotten to talk about the experience and I can hear the emotion like, you could just hear the emotion, you know, how, 
real it is um, for you to experience it. So I want to at least, now that we've shared this a little bit, I want to task the audience to investigate further Mm -hmm. what is happening. Um, We do share this land, whether we should be or not. (laughs) That's a different conversation. But we need to be protective of what was a oh, god damn see there's no good way of saying it because what was agreed upon was fucked up but allow the sovereign lands to remain sovereign lands give back what was taken in so much as is possible because obviously now with population some of that's not going to be super duper possible um, well i mean it's uh it's important to know whose land you're on and that's another way to say it there There's a website. There's a website where you can actually look and see whose land you're on. I am living in Anishinaabe land. And while I am native, that's not my band. That's not your band, right? So that's actually something that was happening um, over this weekend. I was in Seattle, Washington for Geek Girl Con. And before every panel or most panels, not every panel did this, but they were tasked to do it. Before they started every panel, somebody read out the various tribes and the distinction between which ones were federally acknowledged and which ones still had not been Mm -hmm. and sort of, you know, the tragedy behind them not being acknowledged. And and they they read that off before the panels to say it's important for us to acknowledge that this land is not ours and it comes from these places. Um, And unfortunately, because they wasn't written down and I don't like I'm a a read, hear, and speak learner. Most of those are gone from my head. I'll have to look it up again. But I remember the like hearing it happen the first time. I was like, "Oh, that is actually something I've never experienced before." Where somebody acknowledged the land that we were on, and it without that land and the people that used to be here, um, you know, yeah, we would not have that space. We would not be there. Um, I think I do think that is important. And I didn't realize there was a website for that. If, I can um, send you a link. Um, yeah, send me a link. I'll put it in the show notes so that people can can check that out for themselves. As the well. most important part of that is, yes, acknowledging that that was a specific people's land, but also that Native American people aren't gone. They're, they're still here. They're still here. And that's why we acknowledge the land that we're on, because there are still Anishinaabe people. There's still Ojibwe people alive, and yet I'm on their land. So we're not just saying this arbitrary, this back a million years ago, this, tri- this right. group was here. They're still alive, and some have been systematically eliminated. That That sure. is a fact. But there are still a lot of people who are here and they are not being heard. Sorry, folks. Militilly Mix was experiencing technical difficulties. Please stay tuned and the show will resume shortly. Uh, but we are coming to the end, and I do think I was asking this question by the time that you came on the show, but um, maybe things have changed. I don't know. Uh, I like to end my show talking about what we love about being mixed so that we can end on a positive note of 
what our experience is like. So I don't know if there's anything that's changed since the last time, but what do you love about being mixed? I think it has changed. I'm not really sure what my original answer was, but I am extremely grateful for the ability to kind of be in between because I can talk mm-hmm. to people who from different backgrounds and find some commonalities, which basically kind of makes mm-hmm. people comfortable. I can be comfortable yeah. with a lot of people. I can conversate about a lot of different things. It gives you this kind of bridge of connection to people. And that also opens up lots of learning opportunities Lots of for Mm -hmm. me and other people I talk to. And I think that a lot of the conversations I have, there's always someone out there who needs to hear it. Yeah. So I'm just grateful to be in that position. That's nice. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Of course, on the show notes, I'm going to share links to your show and some of the organizations that we've talked about and the website about finding out what land you're on. Um, I'll share all of that in the show notes. And, but before we get out of here, do you want to tell everybody how they can find you? I stole some kind of Brown on every social platform. The minute (laughs) I came up with my podcast name. So I'm some kind of Brown on Twitter, Instagram. That's pretty dope that you got that. Like I'm surprised that nobody had that before. It's pretty awesome. Oh, I was surprised too. Uh, that's the very first thing that I did before I even came up with my show. I had the title. I was like, I have to claim it before somebody else takes it. I, I had militantly mixed for like two years before I even started the show. As, as soon as I started saying it, I, I was like, I better, I better put this down because someone's going to get it. Exactly. And I, I say Brown, I think it's, I, I don't have to explain the title. I'm pretty sure people understand what I'm trying to communicate (laughs) but I'm some kind of brown everywhere I now have a website not a full adult website it's a teenager so it has dot wordpress.com so (laughs) (laughs) I don't know it's it's good though yeah, it's a, a good <laughs> thing. Stuff out there. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so everybody, please go out and check some kind of brown podcast. If you do l- need and like the content that you get on Militantly Mixed, you definitely need and will like the content that you will get on some kind of brown. Our shows are not identical. They are not exactly no. the same. <laughs> but what we cover is important to all of us that are mixed. And for our monoracial allies that listen to the show it's a learning tool it's a learning space militantly mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me charmaine fury music is by david bogan the one you can follow us on social media on twitter instagram and facebook at militantly mixed if you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantly mixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.